as you're aware, the yeast and I, the only <laughs> yeast I like isn't a yeast infection. No, I'm kidding. That's just completely incorrect. Um, thank you. I felt like I had to make that joke because it's been sitting in my mind for like days. Anyways. Yeah, we haven't uh, even made one of those yet. Like, I've been shocked the entire time. Anyways. The restraint. The restraint. And here I go blowing it all. Um, yeah, so, you know I can't handle yeast. You know all my bread mm -hmm. is filled with sadness and <laughs> unrisen yeast. So, I've been complaining about this bitterly at work. And so, there's <laughs> beer that you know it the, the packaging changed basically so we couldn't sell it anymore so the brewery replaced it for free and then they're like here you can like dump it to your staff as you know i'm not a beer drinker by nature uh so a beer drinker by nature as opposed to what a beer drinker by nurture although i suppose that is what i am because i'll like if if there is something where we're going and it's a brewery like i'll figure myself out anyways i know i've, I've seen you choose uh corona just on a whim that's true actually i have yeah i'm a trashy bitch what can you do um Perfect. anyways so i was like oh, like i don't want i'm not gonna drink all this and then it's just gonna sit in my fucking fridge collecting dust mm -hmm. or whatever fridges collect and so Vince actually made the delightful suggestion he's like you should make beer bread because the yeast is already going like it's genius you won't have to fuck around with it so I quickly Googled beer bread recipes. Yeah. Guess what? It's the first one that popped up was perfect. I'm going to tell it to you right fucking now. Three cups of flour sifted so it doesn't make it hard and compact. Uh, three teaspoons of baking powder. Mm -hmm. Not the one that goes in your fridge to make it smell better. Whichever one is that. One teaspoon of salt. I think a half a cup or a quarter cup. One of the two of sugar. Mix that all together. Pour in 12 ounces of beer mix that together then you like put it in a pan that's greased at like 400 or something like that in the oven for an hour oh you have to put melted butter on top too to get the crust nice and crispy and it rose like a hot damn it looked delicious it was so good i've eaten way too much of it like what else too much um well i also made the tiktok pasta so i'm like very carb heavy this weekend but it's been delightful what? Have you not heard of the TikTok pasta? No. Oh my god. So Shar told me about this one. So what it is, it's like popular on TikTok. I don't know why. I don't know what the young people do on the talk. Nope. Um, so you get like a baking dish or whatever, something that can go in your oven. You put like cherry tomatoes, a fucking block of feta, like oh. olive oil, garlic, shallots, uh, red pepper flakes, all that. And then you just like toss it with pasta after it's all like cooked for an hour and gotten all delicious. Okay, yes, I have heard of that. Oh, and basil. You need the basil. But this is not this is not a past episode. This is a different carb. This is bread part three, the grand conclusion. Yep. The the pinnacle of the carb pyramid is what we will be addressing today on this yes. episode of Pantry Staples. The podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I'm Emily. And I'm Marika. And what did we talk about last week? I feel like we need a brief summary to see where we got to. So oh, we briefly, I did look this up just because I was like, uh, I want to know where we're leaving off so I can figure out where the fuck I'm starting from. Mm -hmm. So last week, we basically got up until like late, not like the Middle Ages. I don't really know when the Middle Ages end, to be totally honest with you. Um, 
but <laughs> here's the thing middle ages were different everywhere that's yeah. why we don't call them yeah the dark ages yeah so there uh we got up to like the 1800s ish we got up to when the french were just like storming the Bastille, demanding bread and Marie antoinette was not saying let them eat cake or let them eat bread or anything really she was just very confused and the pr team for the british was shit or the french was shit i'm sure the pr team for the british isn't great either um and then we talked about how uh colonialism's a real bitch and I'm going to talk a little bit more about colonialism now, but I'm going to talk about it in a weirdly positive light. Uh, so hold on <laughs> to your hats what for a, that, kids. What a, what a twist for us. I know. I mean, like, it's not really positive. It's just like, <laughs> that's how we got bread everywhere is because these fuckers wouldn't stay put. Um, yeah. So that's that's the story of like, all foods anyway, so. I would like to talk about the two main changes that have happened around this time period, like once we're getting to like 18, 1900s. Mm-hmm. So the first of these big changes is, like I said, colonialism. Mm-hmm. So we have Spain, France, Britain, they're expanding their empires. They're like going all over the dang place. And you know what they're taking with them besides smallpox? Their favorite <laughs> food, bread. I know we've already talked about this, but it did lead to uh, Mexico and South America enjoying wheat bread. Petit pan is being sold in Cambodia. Bread is holding a huge place of importance in British colonies, namely America, for one. But mm-hmm. later in the, is it neocolonialism? Is that the term for what America would be doing? That spreads yeah. the delicious, like, refined white breads and, like, hamburger buns of the American people across the world. Like, we get to 1960s like America and all they're doing is just shipping their food program abroad which is yucky but also like whatever now you can get Starbucks anywhere you want so that's good I guess I also just for fun did a google search of like what are the biggest grocery stores in like a couple different countries and then looked at those grocery stores websites so in Africa or sorry South Africa there is a grocery store which didn't write the names down because that's how I am but but it was one of the main ones, as per an article on the internet. And I, like, looked on it and saw, like, the prices of their breads very low. So it's still something that, like, is very accessible to everyday people. And there's so many different kinds. And they're all that, like, refined white bread situation or that, like, refined whole wheat bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So fascinating. I looked at, like, Cambodia and Vietnam as well and uh, Thailand, and they all had, like, similar things. It's just everywhere, man. You can't get away from the white bread. But anyways... No. <laughs> can't get away from it. How did we get to this point? The major change besides colonialism is the industrialization, which I think we all knew that that was coming. Uh, we see new baking t- techniques coming about. Large mass-produced baking in the cities instead of in private, like, homes. And again, we have already seen sort of this transition from this individualized, like, production to this more communal thing with the invent of mills and, like, communal ovens and that sort of stuff. But this is on a different scale. Uh, In 1950s, small family bakeries were becoming basically, like, non-existent, uh, Mm -hmm. except for in small villages and rural areas. Chemicals and additives to make the bread last longer and like basically to stretch the flour further that's not necessarily a new development either though we've always been like putting shit in our breads to make it longer all those fucking um laws about how much your bread has to weigh like what do we think we were doing to get to that place of course people were putting weird things 
Like, 19th century bread sold in Europe was often adulterated with hazardous materials, including chalk, sawdust, alum, plaster, clay, and imodium carbonate. <laughs> so, like, again, what were they doing before? Probably the same shit, but, like, this is what we know. Just, just sawdust, Sam. Yeah. Exactly. Just like, and this is the thing too, is like when you're not, you know, able to pay top dollar for this bread, what you're getting is like this gritty, like poorly milled floury bread sometimes that has just some nonsense in it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, this gradually comes to an end with government action in Britain in 1860 and 1899, respectively. Food adulteration acts are passed to try and kind of preserve that. America has... A bit of a more tricky time with it because we're shocked uh, and also like the states like individually were in charge of this policy as opposed to like a unified country whatever as they so, always still are exactly exactly just like if they all got on the same page about anything the world would explode um <laughs> by mid-19th century britain's actually importing most of its bread wheat from the united states so it's gone from producing its own to being majorly dependent on them um, but i mean like that does kind of just make sense because America, like just North America in general, is a vast land full of fields, and Britain is small and exactly rocky. So it's like, what's the new breadbasket of the world? Egypt? Nah, it's America. The Midwest. <laughs> the Midwest. I am obsessed with the Midwest as a culture. Mm-hmm. All the cheese and Jello salads. Oh, the mayonnaise. The mayonnaise folk. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, so major change in bread. And again, I'm kind of jumping all over the place with this, and I am gonna be quick because I know you have a lot to do. Uh <laughs> 1961, the Chorleywood bread process. So this uses intense mechanical working of dough and a control of gases that are like interacting with the dough, and mm. it dramatically reduces the fermentation time. And basically you can cook a loaf of bread or make a loaf of bread much, much, much quicker, which yeah. is great but it's also really changing how this food is being designed and like the yeah. health health benefits that we've been talking about about <laughs> fermentation and stuff like if you're fucking with the fermentation process like that's out the window too what is this doing to the end product many a thing mm. but how like let's look more in depth of how we got to this like additive ridden whiter than white bread getting wheat flour properly ground like i've said now it's a huge effort like if we Think back to our previous episode, the physical toll it takes to grind it yourself with like a mortar and pestle or using those um, saddle stones to mill it, that's like the labor that you're expending on that is insane. And then the labor that it takes to actually construct these mills is not insignificant. And the expense of having to build these mills and then to have to take your things to a mill to get your, or to take your wheat to a mill to get ground and then to a baker. Like this is an expensive process. Regardless and there's so many work. and so many disparate parts, right? Like it's yes, people getting their own wheat and then bringing it to the mill and the mill moving it. It's not like a centralized industry. Exactly. So one thing that does see us starting to kind of get towards those first steps of like a really heavily industrialized uh, process is, and I have a quote: "The problem was resolved by the efficient, fast roller mill, first tried in Hungary in the night or 1820s, perfected in Switzerland in 1834, and then quickly adapted all over Europe and America. For the first time, truly white flour was available at a low price." Wow, fancy! Look at those yeah. Hungarians go. Exactly. 
I've told you about the French toast that I had in Hungary that had, it was served with a bowl of sour cream for breakfast. That sounds delicious. You know I love sour cream, but there's only so much someone can eat of it before you're like, what is happening here? <laughs> Anyways, so now by this time in 1834, we have practices in place that are like the first kind of major building block. How are we going to get that really nice, like fine wheat flour? Like if you go to the store and get flour now, how are we going to get something that resembles that? Mm-hmm. So what else is happening? Wonder Bread. <laughs> According to the records of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Taggart Baking Company, soon to be acquired by Continental Baking Company, Wonder Bread commercial product was introduced in May 1st, 1921. So almost 100 years after this, that's when we're at. Um, we sorry, they're calling it Wonder Bread Commercial Product? Yeah. It's like, it's got bread in the title, but it is not a bread. It is a commercial product. Yeah, it's a commercial product. Um, <laughs> so we have illustrated newspaper ads that confirm the early loaves were not sliced. Homemakers were urged to slice as they needed. Wonder Bread's new wrapping meant the product would last approximately two days, which, like, wow. Uh, the original convenience factor had nothing to do with sliced bread. It was eliminating the daily trip to the bakery. Uh, mm -hmm. So then we have 1930. I've also heard another stat saying it was 1928, but I'm pretty sure I saw that in a meme about Betty White being older than sliced bread, <laughs> saying that that's when sliced bread was invented. Um, anyways. I have an ad read if you'd like to hear it for Wonder Bread. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same one that I have about Wonder Bread. This will be fun. Ooh, I kind of figured a lot of our stuff would overlap. So I'm just like trying to get it to you so that you can get into your six pages for notes. Um, <laughs> Wonder Bread. Just scream at you for an hour? Yeah, perfect. I'm yeah. like, I've had not very much sleep today, as per always. So I'm like down to just clown, you know? Uh, <laughs> Wonder Cut Bread, the new ready to use form of slow baked. Also, slow spelled S-L-O, which, like, get out of my fucking face. Slow-baked Wonder Bread is now on sale at our grocers. Today, you can get the regular slow-baked Wonder Bread in a new, ready-to-use and convenient form. Many women who prefer bread that is already cut never bought it regularly because until now, no sliced bread has been slow-baked. Now you can have it if you want. Nothing is missing. You get the same fine texture, the same tender golden brown crust, the same long-lasting freshness that you know in regular Wonder Bread. We make both kinds of Wonder Bread from the same dough. We both have the same fine ingredients that cost more than $2 million extra each year. The same short patent flour milled from the nutritious heart of the wheat berry. The same famous slow baking process that promotes freshness and greater digestibility. All we do is slice it for you and by entirely new methods. Keen, steady knives cut each slice evenly without breaking the tender crust. Each loaf is placed in a specially designed ventilated trays, then wrapped in special airtight wax wrappers that preserve the full nut-like Wonder Bread flavor. You get the finest bread that baking skill and money can provide when you get Wonder Cut Bread. We slice the regular loaf only for those women who prefer ready-to-use bread. Wonder Cut is at your grocer's today. He gets regular Wonder and Wonder Cut fresh twice a week every day. Or no, twice a day every day, sorry. Continental Baking Company. I don't understand the slow-baked thing. 
I don't either. And I wasn't going to look it up because I was just like, I don't want to get into their double speak. Like, I can't handle this kind of nonsense. But I'm assuming that it just means that they've cooked it in a way that, like, makes it taste a specific way. But I isn't guess. that bad? fucking wild? My entire thing is basically just quotes today because I felt so many weird things were said. Oh, yeah. I've got a... I've got so many quotes later, too. I have another Wonder Bread ad. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay. I love it. Uh, let's continue on. Other kind of industrialized industrialized changes that were happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1914, a bread wrapping machine was invented by Henri Sevigne. With this machine, bread could be wrapped and sealed in wax paper soon after baking, and the product would keep fresh for 48 hours. So pretty exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. Otto Frederick Rodwitter. Rodwitter? I don't know. A jeweler mm-hmm. in St. Joseph... What what state is the MO? Massachusetts, Missouri, Montana. Montana. Nice. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. Began tinkering with the idea of a machine to slice whole loaves of bread in 1912. Or, yeah, 1912. An early model held the loaf together with sterilized hairpins, but the pins fell out. Finally, in 1928, he coupled slicing and automatic wrapping, and two years later, the Continental Baking Company bought his machine to produce Wonder Bread. Oh, that's, I guess, where the difference in years comes from. I clearly didn't read that close enough. So that's crazy. There's all these different things. Um, yeah. Now, let's just briefly get a summary of the timeline. I basically skipped over the 1800s because I just assumed it was, like, the Wild West and people were, like, in the process of getting their shit together. Also, please note that we're, like, basically only focusing on America because, one, I'm the worst, and two, we really need to look at that history to understand where, like, how we got to where we are today, I think. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, and I think, like, if we're going to look at Europe, they're sort of, they much more so than North America kept like the sort of more traditional like bakeries and like how like loaves and like they like you're not you don't see Wonder Bread in France no (laughs) Wonder Croissant (laughs) (laughs) so just like a brief kind of timeline of America uh you get like the 1900s white industrialized bread response to anxieties about germs gender roles and immigration which totally makes sense people are fucking stressed about what's going on around them i mean like also as i know you're gonna get into it but like as 1918 is like swiftly approaching and like the spanish influenza was 1912 whichever one of the two i should know this considering we're like literally talking about all the time these days um thank you uh like people are concerned they want things that can be like mechanically or like mechanized processes to bag their food they don't want people touching it totally understand mm-hmm. also you have a lot of new people coming into a country totally makes sense that you'd be like concerned about you know the food that's being served you have massive changes and whatever okay would you like me to shut up so that you can do this no i'm just like no please continue <laughs> okay uh 1920s we have this concern that we've gone too far with commercialized and processed foods we have oh. this quote I know, it's funny. So, from a brand, Ward's Bakeries, which make the popular tip-top brand. I don't know what that is. 1915. <laughs> Food experts all agree that a whole wheat bread made from the genuine whole wheat flour is one of the most healthful foods we can eat. You need not have doubt about getting the real thing if you buy Ward's whole, or sorry, wheat heart bread, the real whole wheat loaf, made from genuine whole wheat flour ground especially for us by the old-fashioned stone process. Ward's wheat heart bread is made by the Ward standard of quality, purity, and cleanliness. It is the kind you can depend on. All grocers will supply you an on-order made in 10-cent loaves, made in the Ward bakeries in New York, Brooklyn, and Newark. 
So that's one stance of how people are kind of like responding to this. They're like, okay, maybe we get less white about it. Uh, we have another quote. Modern bread appeared to be too pure, too perfect, and critics said that it was making the country fat, dumb, and lazy. So. No. Wrong. Uh, 1940s, we have World War II, where we're introducing, I didn't want to get so into this either because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, synthetic enrichment campaigns and trained Americans to crave added vitamin power in their food. So, yeah, crazy. Uh, now, we have the fucking Cold War, where having mm. this, like, really processed, like, food that's, like, super white, super American is, like, a real moral victory. And getting the rest of the world hooked on it is like, yeah, we won the Cold War. Here's our shitty bread. I mean, that's the whole point of the Cold War. Like, you're not fighting real, like, battles. It's just, it's a, it's a war of It's a campaign of whispers and food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I did briefly want to discuss restaurants serving free bread. Because I found <gasps> a fun quote on this. It's, mainly I'm talking about uh, Berlin in, like, 1915. <clears throat> and, like, a bread ration. But it's also, like, there's many, like, sources. You have a lot of, like, hotel administration, like, union kind of groups of different, like, hotel, like, runner people, managers getting together Mm -hmm. being like, guys, what are we going to do about this fucking free bread situation? Like, it's getting out of hand. Nobody's buying our food. It's just free bread. Like, and, like, the whole dialogue about, like, do restaurants do it? What should we do? Who's to say? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But I have this quote about, again, the Berlin ration. New Yorkers with long memories who recall the historic day when restaurants began charging 10 cents for bread and butter will be interested to learn that the scheme for abolishing free bread with meals throughout the German Empire, as well as putting 70, is that 70 million? 70, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 zeros. Yes, million. Oh my god. Yeah, 70 million people on a bread ration was launched with rather less excitement and far less friction. Patriotic Americans who began celebrating Washington's birthday the night before and returned to their hotel rooms in the early morning hours had, some of them, the shock of their lives when they saw flaming red placards posted on the walls above their bed. It looked as if the place had been put under quarantine, but the poster contained the following even more exciting announcement. The bread cards instituted by the authorities are to be found for each of our honored guests and good for one day only at the bread card desk in the lobby to be obtained daily. The honored guests are reminded that from February 22nd onwards, bread may only be given at meals on presentation of this official bread card. We therefore beg guests to always keep the bread card by then, sorry, it was in all caps, and to give it back on paying the bill on the day of departure. The management. You could buy and eat all the cake you wanted to, but not even an American millionaire could get a crust of bread in Berlin without producing his bread card. It was Red Monday. Not only were there red posters conspicuously put up in the hotel rooms, but all the advertisement pillars of Berlin were plastered with red announcement explaining the intricacies of the new bread ordinance. So, like, yes. (laughs) There's still a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And people are still, like, again, this entire period is still so marked by, like, insecurities in the supply, which is unimaginable to us now. And just, like, up until kind of end of the Cold War, this is really what we're dealing with. And that's insane. And now oh, rationing everywhere. Yeah, rationing was crazy. Like Yeah. Just a wild time. Uh, also, 
fun fact, companion comes from the Latin term companis, which means with bread, i.e. someone you share a meal with, which I felt like I needed to tell you. That's fun. I have a fun, just while we're talking about bread etymology, did mm. we talk about this in like the first episode and I just totally forgot about it, but in like old English, the words for lord and lady. No, but I read this somewhere and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Please tell me more though, because I can't remember now. Yes, so Lord is cloth weird. H L A F W E A R D, which means loaf ward. And it's literally like they're the person who keeps the bread. And then the lady is Hlafdige, or Hlafdige, H L A F D I G E, which stands for loaf kneader. Like it's the person who makes the bread. So that's wild. I love that so much. Yeah. Yes. So I've basically finished, except for I have one last quote, because again, my thing was only quotes today, basically. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I think it's really good, and I think it's going to lead super well into your section. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Is this stuff even food? Be careful how you answer that question. Perhaps more than any other food in the United States, what you think of sliced white bread says a lot about who you are. Over the past hundred years, it has served as a touchstone for the fears and aspirations of racial eugenists, military Mm -hmm. strategists, social Mm -hmm. reformers, food gurus, and gourmet tastemakers. The 1960s counterculture made white bread an icon of all that was wrong with America, and 1970s style arbiter Diane Vreeland famously proclaimed, people who eat white bread have no dreams, by which she meant that they don't dream the right dreams, the up-to-date hip dreams. Because through its long history, few foods have embodied so many dreams as industrial white bread, particularly during times of recession, war, and social upheaval. Yes. All right. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Let's hear from you now. Yeah, let's just get right into white bread and whiteness, which is going to kind of cover some of the things that you were sort of Mm -hmm. dancing around. But just basically, I read this one article. That was great. Then, then I didn't write down it. Get your list. You can find it in <laughs> on our, our Instagram. <laughs> I'll post our sources. It's white bread, like biopolitics. And it was great. It got very Foucauldian. And I was like, love this. Mm. So to start with a quote, love 1923 it. issue of Ladies Home Journal, which. Yes. So, quote, modern inventions have made an exact science of baking, and there is no reason whatever for failure. This is a personal attack. (laughs) Yep. So, geez, Emily. (laughs) Wow. Um, But, yeah, so much of the same way we saw, actually, like, butter become industrialized. Mm -hmm. Throwback to our very first episode. Go listen to that if you haven't. Or listen to it again. Please continue. Uh, but yeah, so in the industrialization of the production, distribution, and consumption of bread was very much tied up uh, with shifts towards capitalist cultural change in North America, which mm-hmm. we all know this because we all kind of understand, like what that quote that you just read, like the rhetoric of what white bread means. Mm-hmm. Not even just in North America, like. Yeah, like, the French have a very clear idea of, like, ugh, white bread. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I get the fucking white bread. Yeah. Anyway, so, quick visual of this change. In 
the 1890s, 90% of bread was baked at home by women. Duh. Wasig. Forty years later, in the 1930s, 94% of bread in the U.S. was baked commercially by men. And I actually found that, that, like, industrial baking was, like, led even, like, some, like, military positions in terms of, like, having more men than women in it. Like, it was, like, crazy. It was so male-dominated. Like, there were even more, like, female doctors in the 30s. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fascinating stat. Yeah, it's crazy. So the displacement of production wasn't the only change. The bread itself from the 1930s on, as you said, was distinctly modern and industrial. It is the dawn of the uniform sliced white loaf. And I even saw a lot of comparisons to it, like, in terms of art deco design. Hmm. Like, if you think about, like, the clean lines and just, like, even, like, the rounded corners in, like, buildings from the 20s on, that's all because of cleanliness and, like... We want, like, clean lines. Like, none of that Victorian, like, dust-collecting chandeliers, like, filigreed. No. White and square. (laughs) Except Um, for not rounded. Emotionally square. (laughs) Which makes sense that it's, like, tied up to that kind of, like, white hospital thing. Because just politics And, like, bread and food and everything in the 20th century was so tied up with purity and hygiene. And, like, when did germ theory come around? Like, I feel like this was when it really started to take off and people were like, oh, shit, we gotta do something about this. Yeah, okay, yes. I have a little bit about that here. And basically Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with the fact that people didn't understand germ theory. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, continue. Yes. So... Yes, as we've talked about so, so much, like, all of the anxieties, like, 20th century, we've got right post-World War One, it's rapid industrialization, rapid urbanization, women are joining the workforce, and immigration has, like, gone through the roof in North America, America mm-hmm. in particular. And one way that middle-class white people deal with their fears of the unknown is to engage in moral panics. <laughs> which, I don't know weird that that's never happened since <clears throat> um in the mid 19 teens and 20s the hot topic was public health and then weirdly enough hot topic actually became a bit of a moral panic for parents later please continue <laughs> good i was hoping that you would i was like mm, thank you <laughs> shout out to the pop punk princesses of this pod um <laughs> please continue So, yes. So, specifically in the sort of, like, late teens, early 20s, the idea that health and hygiene wasn't just an issue of personal care, but rather a matter of public concern for any productive citizen to participate in. Like, it's, it's like, if you're not cleaning your ears, that's not just, like, an issue with the fact that you're dirty. It's, like, a failing on the society as a whole. I mean, hashtag typhoid Mary always. Hashtag this pandemic. Hashtag all pandemics. Hashtag all pandemics, hashtag panics. Um, So women, of course, are key in this war on disease as, quote, simultaneously the greatest enemy and its secret weapon. Of course. Yeah, like it's it's just the classic Madonna horror complex all over. So coming at you with quotes. So this is Minnesota. Sorry, I just need to interrupt and tell you that it was like maybe a year ago that I realized that that wasn't in reference to Madonna the singer. 
Anyways, I needed to own that, okay. So here's Sorry. this quote. No, please. From Minnesota public health official, Hibbert Winslow Hill. Ew. Not Herbert. Hibbert. That's terrible. Yes, so this is his book, The New Public Health. <laughs> quote, infectious diseases in general radiate from and are kept going by women. The douche. Like, sir. Also, how is nobody, and like, maybe we don't know when this rhetoric is being used, but how is this not being used for this pandemic? Like, the women are unclean, it's their fault we're in this mess. Somehow we've managed to, like, not have that happen. Great, I'm, like, really not looking for another witch hunt. No, it's just because we've chosen instead to blame uh, an entire (laughs) race of people, so that's But that's true. And, like, also the youth, because we're moral panicking about races and youths. I can't even. Anyway, right. so we've also got this. So here's the other side. So that's the whore. This is a Madonna. Hmm. So do Dr. Dwight Chapin in the Ladies' Home Journal. Chapin? A different Chapin. Chapin, okay. Like Chopin, but with an A. Ah, uh, got it. So he is pleading with middle-class women to channel, quote, their, or their, quote, surplus of unused mother love toward the poor by helping to provide continuous oversight as to the diet and hygiene of immigrant children. <laughs> well, he's really chapping my hide with that one. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, that's like fucked. Thanks so much for coming out, sir. <sighs> yeah, I mean... Just like another time that white women do not need to get involved with things. I know. Like, just... I'm sure these children have their own moms who are, like, doing the best that they can after coming to, like, a country that hates them. Anyway. <sighs> it's fine. But the other aspect, so, yes, so it, he's using the word immigrant here, but what he actually really means is poor. Mm-hmm. And, yes, of, as you sort of touched on before and as we've touched on on, like, all of these episodes before, this like early 20th century to mid 20th century. It's a time when immigration to the U.S. was booming and frightened white Americans were forced to encounter the strange foods of other cultures. I had actually, so I was listening to the Splendid Table podcast. Shout out to uh, Francis Lamb, who's a straight up G. Uh, He is. I'm obsessed. It's fine. Uh, He was, it actually wasn't him that said it though. I can't remember who it was, but there was this like guest that they had on that said something along the lines of like scientifically and like in studies, it's been proven people who eat the same foods are more likely to trust each other. So like if you're doing business negotiations with Mm. people you don't know, you should eat the same food because then you're all more likely to trust each other. Like you go for, that's why you have like a business dinner. Yeah. That makes so much sense. That's really cool. Yeah. And just like the idea that like, of course it would work the opposite way people eat things that are different from what you eat and you're like what the fuck are we doing here oh yeah you see it all the time just anecdotally i mean i as a, as a younger person been like Ugh, uh but you've also kind of like not to get so into it but experienced it as well as somebody who's vegetarian your whole life like oh yeah people you were eating different things oh yeah like the reason that i would make like my lunch as just like a condiment rice cake sandwich was because I didn't want to have to bring leftovers like to school because people were like what's that it's like lentils and like vegetables and like you fucking dirty heathens yeah and like the the classmates next to me with their disgusting ham like white bread sandwich like ham and butter I don't know I can only assume 
That's disgusting. So yes, race, race, diet, inextricable mm-hmm. in this time, which is why eugenicists were able to be like full quoted in Good Housekeeping <sighs> magazine. No. By and arguing that uh, it was in the society's best interest to have, quote, the dregs and wastes of the population, quote, purified and made healthy. Dude, there are so many people who were cool with eugenics, like, for way too long. How is that something that we're all like, yeah, that's totally legit, don't worry about it? Yeah, just to be, like, writing, Good Housekeeping is a magazine that still exists. Yeah. Wonder if they've got any words that they'd like to contribute to that dialogue <laughs> now. Like, can we, yeah, can we have, like, a 90-year, like, redaction on... All your eugenicist policy <laughs> at Good Housekeeping. We're ready to fight you. Yeah, let's start a letter writing campaign. So the ominous conclusion being made not only by this eugenicist dude and Good Housekeeping, but by all of the supposed advocates of public health, is that non-normative bathing and eating habits are not just a threat to the individual, but rather society as a whole. That's some real 9-11 bullshit there. But where the heck does bread come in? Mm -hmm. In the beginning of this debate, commercially produced bread was actually viewed as a negative. So kind of like you were talking there, like people were freaked out. Because it's a freaky thing. Wonder Bread is weird. Oh, no, but these people weren't afraid of like Wonder Bread. They were afraid of the like bakers putting all of that like chemical shit in their bread. And... The Supreme Court had to weigh in on whether bleaching flour with chlorine gas was considered a crime. <laughs> I saw that written in like like three different articles, but no consensus on to what they actually thought. I think they were like, no, it's fine. I mean, I feel like some flowers advertise as unbleached right now, which means that we're getting bleached flour. So everyone must be cool with it. But maybe you can bleach it differently. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, people are just realizing that germs are a thing, and they are taking it to unfortunate extreme. The fact that bread is made with, like, yeasts even became, like, a source of freakout. People were just like, like, I can't, I didn't write it down because it was such a long quote, but it was this, like, description in a 1905 biology, like, book about baking bread that was comparing it to, like, the bloating of, like, rotted animal corpses. I was like... Wow, gone are the days of, like, this really lovely, wholesome, like, dish that you serve to everyone and everyone, and now it's rotting animal carcasses. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, the white people were having a full meltdown, like, left reason. (laughs) (laughs) When are they not? (laughs) Oh my god, I know. Uh, So, yes, the shift really began, though, with wrapped bread, which I saw compared to, like, as the greatest thing like wrapped bread is the greatest thing before sliced bread. Yep. And it was totally a game changer because not only did it allow consumers to keep bread longer, but it enabled bakers to claim that their bread was 100% scientifically hygienic, completely untouched by the filth of human hands. Ugh. When really those facilities are probably rat infested hellscapes where people are like coughing into the fucking batter. And, like, onto the bag. Cool. Super fun. 
Um, I don't know. I think that by this point, like, things probably were so fully mechanized, like, from the 20s and beyond, like, the late teens that like yeah it probably wasn't touched by people like you put the dough in like a making like a kneading machine and kneads it up go mm. in the conveyor belt i don't trust anything in a factory so their hygienic guarantee allowed corporations to reposition themselves as the safe and clean bread makers in opposition with homemade bread which was inconsistent dirty and dangerous it's the classic <sighs> All right, so here we get to the Wonder Bread ad. So this is 1929, and it shows a clean-cut man in a lab coat holding up a loaf to a group of well-dressed women, and the tagline is, Mothers here adopt new bread, widely urged for school children. Oh, my God. I was just going to say, and they're still using that same marketing campaign of, like, this is the most wholesome thing for your child. Yes, and it's, like, all marketed around, like, children. This way everyone has it for lunch because it's, like, you're told that this is going to, like, I don't know, make your brain, like, you're going to learn better because you have, like, bread. Also, did you hear that the reason the packaging is those circles is because they saw the blimps, like, whoever was in charge of that, and was like, oh, my God, blimps are so fucking cool. We got to put some blimp replication shit on our bags. No, that's hilarious. I feel like people at this time were so into blimps, and now we just don't even hear about blimps. Yeah, I mean, we've progressed past blimp level. Have we? Emotionally, I mean. Oh, no. So not only are mothers being urged to give Wonder Bread to their school children, they're being openly, like, ripped to shreds. This is like, this is ice cream all over again, this is butter all over again. (sighs) So this is a quote from a master from a master bakers association convention. <laughs> it's a little long. Quote: The average housewife of today who bakes bread is living in the dark. She is ignorant of what the up-to-date method of baking consists. She has to be educated, the same as a child is educated to eat from a plate. The only difference being that our task is far harder than teaching a child whose mind is receptive to instruction and learning. Men hate women so much. It's really upsetting. Like, actually. Like, every time you say something, like, obviously it's hilarious and like, haha, but like, they just straight up hate us. Like, as a society, men do not like women. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah, I it's and like that sort of idea, it's like it's not gone. It's just different fucking nonsense every day. So many women. That was just the end of that. I'm just like, ugh. Okay. Let's So now what this? You were kind of mentioning that it's like and through it all of this, like there's always discussions about like food health and like what's better. Like there's mm-hmm. always gonna be people who are gonna be like, This isn't actually healthy. Like what's consider the other options and i'm going to talk about that in a second about like a canadian example Mm. um but yes white bread has prevailed and it's just really interesting the whole conversation about like what is healthy food because we obviously know the things like eat your fruits and vegetables that's good for you don't eat so much like you know x y and z sugar fat you know carbs whatever there's all these things but like as we said so many times like you can't do it like a double blind it's right study in food like we actually like the, the knowledge about what is good for us and how we should consume things is always 
the same, but always also very different, I feel like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's and so much of it comes down to, like, it's a matter of, like, faith, in a way. Oh and God, that's exactly yeah. where we get with white bread. Like, the reason, like, I'm, there is probably a racist element. I didn't necessarily, like, see that, but it's all tied up. So it's like white bread and whiteness in general is symbolic of cleanliness and purity. Ugh. Which, like, like, that goes back to, like, medieval times. Mm-hmm. But in the 20th century, like, this is such a thing. And part of that is, again, like, with, like, the complete misunderstanding of, like, germ theory and, like, how germs work. And, like, the idea that, like, if it looks actively clean, then it must be, even though, like, you can have the whitest counter of all. And if you've just dragged a raw chicken across and not properly wash it, you're going to be puking. But, like... Mm-hmm. That ad where they wipe the counter down with a chicken to show how, anyways, love that ad. Horrible. And I mean, people don't understand that. Like, that's, like, I get it. But in the idea of, like, these early kind of 20th century white bread understandings, like, the fact that it is a loaf that looks like pure, like snow white, where you, unlike the, like, dusky color of a darker loaf where you could hide impurities. Like the idea that you can't like put extra like weird additives and stuff in it because it's like, there's no way to mask them in white bread, but that's obviously incorrect, but also, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, in the way that everyone's writing about it, it's like terms of like chastity and defilement when comparing like white and brown bread. Yeah. Like very rough. It's just like, I don't know. Calm down. It's just bread. But it's not just bread, because bread is a big deal. As we've been talking about, bread is never just, like, a casual time. Yes. Let's talk, like, briefly. So this is Canada and this effort in the 1940s by Dominion serialist Dr. Leonard H. Newman. Hmm. I love that he's a Dominion serialist. Like, it's just, like, what kind of a title is that? Like, a man, like... I don't understand that title. Like, I don't. When you say serialist, do you mean, like, C-E-R-E-A? Yes, like, L. in charge of serials. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, this absolute nerd. <laughs> you mean absolute legend. Mm, he led an ultimately failed crusade to develop what he called Canada-approved bread and flour in an effort to encourage healthier eating habits among Canadians. Oh, boy. And basically, these would be flours and breads with naturally high levels of vitamin B1. He was was staunchly opposed to the idea of enriching refined white flour with with synthetic vitamins, which is what they do in, like, the States and England. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wanted instead to use a slower milling technique that kept some of the nutrient-rich germ in the flour. Okay. He was very stressed that synthetic enrichment would lead to a mass push of synthetic food development. And spoiler alert, it did. <laughs> so why, why was he so stressed and like concerned with vitamin B1? So vitamin B1, a.k.a. thiamine, was a hot nutrition fad at the time. Hmm. 
Dietitians called it the morale vitamin and believed that lowered levels of B1 caused irritability, moodiness, fearfulness, mental depression, and fatigue. I'm going to use this and as a there was a- now. Like, you're looking a little low on your B1, bitch. <laughs> yeah. There was a concern that a population low on thiamine would be inefficient and could have disastrous economic consequences. Oh, my God. And, of course, this is coming, like, right off of, like, the Great Depression and, like, World War II is, like, right around the corner. So everyone is so freaked out by buzzwords, like, inefficient and mental depression. So they were very alarmed. Has anyone calmed down ever is the real question of this podcast. No, 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 no. And my whole, like, that's all I'm talking about today is, like, people will not calm down. Um, so, yeah. So, the, the development of a more nutritious bread also played into the ongoing post-depression concerns regarding social security reform and the role of government intervention. We're not which, still like, through any of that. No, and it's like the thing where it's like he's really trying to do a good thing, but it's coming from such of a place of just like I know what's best. Like I don't care what you guys want. Like this is the right choice. Yeah, you're right, nerd. Of course, like the Canadian agricultural industry also had an interest in getting people to buy like and eat lots of Canadian bread made from Canadian wheat. Mm-hmm. And they really tried, like they really tried to recast bread as a health food, which like throwback to the dumpster's food pyramid yeah that was a big one hey yes oh my goodness i want to read you this ad oh good the two things that i remember most of like my childhood reading things like that sort Mm -hmm. of genre for whatever stick in my mind are the dumpster's food pyramid and then there was this one one year at easter that cadbury put out like this comic or like cartoon like drawing little like a picture book basically of yeah. uh like how the easter bunny got all the chocolate ready and those two things stick in my head so strong <laughs> okay so this is the most canadian thing you will have ever seen and Good. it's two extremely inathletic men playing hockey on uh, like a sandwich <laughs> and they've they have, like, slicked back hair. I don't even know how I can share this photo with you, but it's, like, so insane. And the caption is, it's, like, a full, like, this is, like, a full magazine ad. Because oh, you can play a whole period of hockey on two slices of bread. Bread builds... What? I don't know. It's, like, it's got a thing down there that says, but it's very small seat. And it says, bread builds energy. Keeps up your strength for health and well-being. Diet authorities advise at least six slices every day. Holy shit. And then there's a picture of, like, a woman who's just, like, she's in, like, shorts, but, like, shorts from, like, the 40s and, like, a sweater. And it's kind of, like, got her arms up and sort of, like, twisting. And then there's, like, a caption beside her that says, bread helps you reduce safely. Oh my god. I just love the use of the term reduce in terms of like dieting. Yeah. Again, men hate women. They just want us (laughs) reduced. So, yes. They were like really trying hard for that. It didn't really work. 
there was a, some like initial success with the Canada flower like a situation when in World War II, um, you could argue that the milling industry was wasting precious resources by like discarding like the wheat germ like at a time of rationing. So like that kind of like it kept it going for longer than like it really should have because. Yeah, like by 1949, it was totally, they were just like, forget it. Like, sorry, Newman, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just, Good and uh, yeah, the one one official puts, uh, he's got this quote, any attempt to go athwart the trend of public preference, no matter what the scientific justification for such a move may be, is bound to meet opposition. It's like, yeah, the people wanted the white bread, so... Oh boy. Grainy Canada approved loaf. They were like, no, we would actually prefer synthetic additive in a white bread. That's what we want. Oh, so sad for him. Yeah, poor Newman. Oh well. Life's a bitch and then you die. I know. Okay, I've got two more things. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> the first is um, celiac disease and gluten free diets. I was wondering when we were going to get to that. Notice how I conveniently refuse to address any sort of gluten issues in this because I refuse to believe it exists or acknowledge how it works. So this was... This is like a whole thing that I read. I don't know. I think it came out of like a conference again. Do I read my sources? Sort of. (laughs) So this is going through the whole, like the whole spectrum of just like gluten, celiac, all of that stuff. So let's start with celiac disease. What the heck is it? It is an autoimmune disease that causes chronic intestinal inflammation when exposed to ingested gluten. Makes sense. Yeah, like it, celiac disease is real and like bad. Yes, I will, I will allow it. Yes, the symptoms have been described for over 100 years, but the relationship between celiac disease and gluten was actually not only like was only discovered in the 40s which is crazy really yeah then again they like weren't really sure what germs were until like the 30s anyways i know and the thing is like we still don't know a ton about like what causes it there are some genetic markers that like show a predisposition to the disease but otherwise it's just like sorry i just you know how you can get like tests done on your babies or like you can make like test two babies and like pick the things like I want my kid to have blue hair or like they do the test for like any sort of complications with your baby you can like choose to terminate if they're t- complications that you don't necessarily yeah, care yeah. for it's like you see you have a celiac kid you're just like I'm sorry we're gonna have to take this one out <laughs> I'm sorry that's so fucking awful see I was going the opposite where it's like like I don't know you're some kind of like goop lady and you're just like no like my baby like will not eat like wheat so you like put celiac in your baby because you're like no if only there was a change program (laughs) me and Gwyneth Paltrow can switch she can have my celiac baby the problem is like it's it's a heart disease it's like Anyway, okay, so recent studies estimate that roughly 1% of people worldwide are truly celiac. Okay. 
There's also been some research showing that cultures with more like rice-based culinary traditions, like China, India, Japan kind of thing, mm-hmm. show an uptick in celiac disease as they move towards more like quote-unquote Western diets. Again, the ramifications of Western diets are so strong. Yeah, totally. And like kind of like lactose, I think, like if you're not used to mm-hmm. ingesting a food, like your body can have a hard time with it. I'm just like... We need a second to adapt all of a sudden. Like, bitches cannot be thinking that, like, 20 or 100 years is enough time. Humans are, like, we're pretty adaptable, but we're also delicate and, like, just, like, mushy, like, flesh sacks that Mm -hmm. can't handle, like, grain in our grain-produced product. (laughs) So, true celiac disease is actually serious and a thing, but what about the people with gluten sensitivity? non-celiac gluten sensitivity is obviously a lot more vague and basically an umbrella term for gastrointestinal symptoms triggered by gluten ingestion so unlike celiac disease which is already kind of like hard to pinpoint except for just like putting people on a gluten-free diet um non-celiac gluten sensitivity doesn't have the same, like, as this article puts it, serologic or histologic markers. Mm. So basically the only way to, like, diagnose it is off of an individual self-reported symptoms. There does, however, appear to be some link to true celiac disease as non-celiac gluten sensitivity appears to be higher in first-degree relatives of celiac patients. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's not, like, a full, like, genetic, like, this one, like, gene that the celiac people have. It's, like, you don't have that if you're just, like, sensitive, but it's, I don't know. Like, it's, but it can make sense. Like, families come from the same place, so maybe that place wasn't adapted to that diet. Totally. And while, you know, like, these people with the sensitivity definitely experience discomfort, like, abdominal pain, diarrhea, bloating, cramps. They do not have to deal with the same nutritional deficiencies mm-hmm. and anemia that celiac people do. And here is where the article took a salty turn, and I was so here for it. Oh, thank God. Under a section that they titled Gluten-Free Diets as a Lifestyler Choice. They called it Lifestyler. And I was like, I think this is maybe like like, a, like an English translation thing, but like I love it. I'm obsessed. Basically. Now that there is, like, such a bigger understanding and acknowledgement of celiac and a rise in the availability of gluten-free products, surveys have found that an increasing number of people are adopting gluten-free diets like just because. Gluten avoidance. Gluten avoidance is seen as a healthy lifestyle change rather than treatment for serious chronic disease. The authors of this article conducted a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial to investigate this and found no significant difference in the gastro health between their gluten-eating and non-gluten-eating participants. Of course they didn't. Their conclusion is basically that not only is a gluten-free diet unnecessary for otherwise healthy people to adopt, but they actually were finding some evidence to show that it could actually have negative nutritional consequences. So makes gluten-free, sense. Totally. Gluten-free diets, you have a reduced levels of calcium, magnesium, iron, zinc, manganese, and folate. 
as well as significantly higher fat content and concerns about uh, an impact on your gut flora. Because this the is fermentation. Gut flora. So gotta get her in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, it was it was funny reading this article because I had actually been considering like taking a break from wheat and simple carbohydrates for like a couple weeks, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Do I want low manganese levels? No, I can't believe you were thinking about that. Okay, the final thing that I want to talk about is bread lines. Yes, finally. <laughs> it's the term that has become synonymous in modern lexicon with the final most desperate stage of poverty mm-hmm. and it's just like it's one of those terms kind of like i don't know like breadwinner or like yeah. where you can just like you just say it and every like whoever you're going to say it to has an immediate idea of like what that means mm-hmm. to people but it was actually tied to a very specific time and place mm-hmm. specifically midnight at the fleischmann's vienna model bakery in lower manhattan here we go. So the Fleischmanns, I mean, I'm not really going to get into them, but they're like, they're the dudes that invented baking powder. <laughs> not true, but they kind of. Yeast, not baking powder, but they do have baking powder as well. Anyway. You're not going to Fleischmann that out a bit more? Sorry. I'm bad. not going to Fleischmann. Um, anyway, so yes, they were great. They made like, they made commercial yeast in like 1870-ish. Good for them. And from about the mid-1880s onwards, they opened up, like, a little cafe in lower Manhattan that they had done. It was, like, after they had, a, like, a, this, like, little cafe thing where they sold, like, baked goods using, like, their yeasts and, like, baking powders and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was super popular. That was part of, like, a World Expo. And I forget the Expo year. is fascinating. I know. So yeah, so anyway, so they had this cafe, and then it was a big deal, and then there's some kind of debate about, like, when they started it, but then, yeah, like, 1880s or so, they would open up a little side door of their cafe every night of the week at midnight and hand out a half loaf of bread to every man lined up outside. Every man, specifically? Yes. The article that I was reading didn't really get into it, except to say that, like, I assume a number of reasons, like... You can't be a woman lining up in Manhattan public in the 1800s and midnight. Yeah. yeah, that's a different context. There was like a debate about whether like charity like this actually helped poor people or if offering free food to unemployed people bred a dependency. <sighs> One, thank you for that pun. That was great. Two, I'd really like us to stop talking about whether or not the poor deserve to eat. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. Mr. Ivory Tower, New York Times, like, calm your shit. I don't know. I don't know that this was a New York Times guy. This was just people being like, mm-hmm. I feel like but the Fleischmann, I would have said it too. Probably. Uh, like, or just William Randolph Hearst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so to kind of, like, correct any of that backlash, the Fleischmanns also opened up a free labor bureau with info on jobs um, around New York. So, like, they were really trying to do, like, a nice thing, and it was really lovely. God, I want to cry. Oh, so nice. <laughs> and this is the thing that, I don't know, like, we don't talk about a lot, because we never talk about anything, like, before 1900, but the, like, late, like, the 1880s and stuff, there was a big depression going on in the States. Mm. Yeah, you don't hear much about that one. Not as popular. 
not as popular. So the bread line was... This breadline was so famous that it became a subject for countless artists and writers who were trying to capture the very toss of city life. Mm. It came along with like super cliched visual language, like almost immediately. Uh-huh. And they're like in these paintings and like the like short stories, it's always dark out because it's midnight, like fire. But it's also <laughs> always snowing, which is yep. hilarious because this is like a year round service. Nothing says poverty like snow. Yeah, exactly. Makes it like. Oh wait, what are their coats? Are like threadbare? They're holding their hat in their hand. Shoes have like you know busted ass toes. That's more of a thirties. This was like the men just like standing in like a military like formation. It's interesting oh. that they use military like, language a lot. They're silent, slouched, and their heads are bowed. And it's just kind of like this idea that hunger can turn humans into beasts. Almost immediately, it became an iconic symbol of poverty and the failures of urbanism and class conflict, especially because anyone who's, like, writing or drawing this is, like, obviously middle class, at least, so. In order to be an artist, you really have to be middle class. No offense to the starving artist trope. Yeah, but it's, like, the class, like, that's part of the trope of the starving artist, is it's, like, you're starving, like, out of, like, by choice. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know. Like, what the fuck am I on about? I spent my last dollar yeah. on a croissant because I assume that money is always coming. Oh, yeah. And I think, in fairness to these artists and writers, like, they are trying to show this in a way of being like, this is, like, messed up. Like, why do people have to, like, line up for food? So, like, they're not, like, and they were aware of the, like, class divisions in as much as they can be. Mm-hmm as, like, white middle-class man in the 1800s. (laughs) I feel like artists always think that they're among all the people, though. Why are we just talking about how much I hate artists? Sorry, this is rude. It's fine, especially, but especially this time. It's just, like, I don't know. Yeah. Big I love you, but, like, fuck right off. Then, of course, by the time we get to the 30s, the breadline symbol has become even more entrenched in the cultural consciousness, because it's had time to kind of, like, settle in, and was like then able to be applied to not only the very specific Fleischmann's incidents, but then also like any effort to feed the masses of hungry and unemployed people that the Great Depression created. Writers and artists are still like totally using it as iconography, but they no longer need to describe it in like the same way as they did at the turn of the century. Like then and now you could just say breadline and everyone knew exactly what it would look like for the observer and anyone who was unlucky enough to be there. And it was very important, like, that they were actually doing this work to bring the extreme poverty, usually hidden from the middle class, like, up into light. Because at the 30s, President Hoover, in the middle of the Great Depression, said, quote, Nobody is actually starving. The hobos, for example, are better fed than they have ever been. So that's rough. Why was any American president ever allowed to do anything ever? Name one good one. I dare you. Carter? No, of course not. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just like, it's especially egregious to just be like, (laughs) in the middle of, like, it's just like, how? How can you be so... Like, one out of touch, and two so cruel. And just, like, who are you helping by saying that? Like, who is enjoying 
Yeah. Like what PR? I don't like it. Does I don't even know. I can't even say. To quote um, literally your, everyone, it costs zero dollars to keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. let's call hoover and tell him <laughs> dorothea lang has a great photograph she's just excellent it's called white angel Breadline. it's from 1933 you can look it up right now but it's great i just like was writing about this because i was just like getting back in my art history and i was like oh, dorothea lang killing it it's <laughs> she moves away from like the traditional like snaking line of slouch men like trope and it's more of just like a cropped like tight cropped scene of like huddled backs of men's heads yeah, and then there's the one oh this is good yeah and then there's the one central figure who's facing the camera but looking down and so we can't really see his face under his like worn brimmed hat like you can probably assume his shoes are like buff like it yeah you, she, the visual is very clear yeah and like she's a like actually a good artist so she's not it's like not quite this but like it's steps away from like a Norman Rockwell like hobo running with a pie (laughs) but it's but it's true and it's showing that like trope and you understand immediately like his situation and where he is and she doesn't like you don't have to see bread you don't even see a line but she like the title white angel bread line you know exactly what's going on Mm -hmm. and that's how ubiquitous the the term was and then the another image that I really like saw and is like really great from this time. So this is um, Margaret Burke White. Uh, she was a photograph in 1937, which shows a line of black men and women waiting in line for food. It's not necessarily bread at this time. Like it could be like soup. It could be anything. But they're in this bread line after the 1937 Louisville flood. Mm. As this is a non-visual medium, I will describe it. It's People of color queued in front of a billboard with the slogan, world's highest standard of living, that depicts a smiling, extremely white nuclear family. like With a dog. Yeah, the car and the dog are both, like, also, like, like white and shiny and... She is, the artist is very clearly, like, playing on this racial dichotomy Mm -hmm. and, like, the irony. But she can do this because, like, of the power of the breadline. And the breadline uh, imagery and like what we know about it. Is that where the term breadwinner comes from? As being someone who like got their like I uh, I, I assume it isn't this, but also like maybe uh, as someone who like got the bread from the breadline and they like brought it home. They're like I'm the breadwinner today. Or does it have to do with just like being somebody who's employed and financially providing for their family? I think, yeah, I think it goes way back because it's, like, just the idea of, like, to the Bible, like, daily bread. Mm. And then also, like, even, like, before, I don't know if this is, like, just in, like, English, but I think also in the Bible, too, it's, like, they use bread um, to denote a person's, like, share or portion. So in Spencer's Daphneida, we have, my bread shall be the anguish of my mind. Like, my lot in life shall be this anguish. That's such a good quote. What are the comments of the translators on that? Like, when we see that word, is it, like, in the translation, like, the original text, is it referring to bread specifically, food specifically, or just, like, what's the vibe there? Well, in Spencer, like, Spencer's in English, like, he's... 
like a little bit earlier than Shakespeare, I think. I could look it up, but I didn't. So that's like full English, and that's like yeah. like full using. Yeah, but then no, for the, like in the Bible. Well, in the Bible, like it's just like I imagine that they could translate that pretty one to one because they are talking about like literal bread. Okay. You know, I just wasn't sure because I was like, well, what if that's just something that we've like come to associate it because it was a word that just kind of meant like your food and then we just threw that in there like as a later addition but I guess no it like all of our research it totally makes sense that it would be one to one yeah I think it goes and there was that like my whole like bread and coins thing and like it yeah and like the people like bread as money like I think that bread burner goes back to like you do like I don't know like in the 70s it's like I don't got no bread man yeah that's a good one I ain't got no bread because I finished my beer bread. Again, I will not stop thinking about this beer bread. If you'd all like to make beer bread and then send me your attempts, I would like to see that. Oh, one thing that I think would be a fun, like, write in or, like, do, like, a quiz for on the Instagram, which is Pantry Staples Pod. Follow us there. Mm-hmm. Some quality content. Just kidding. Is whether you use, a, like, like, a bread box or put your bread in the freezer. Oh, yes, I am very curious to see what people want to say about that. What do you do? I'm freezer. We're a freezer family. I'm a freezer person, too, now. I never used to be, but it's just, like, I can't go through it all quick enough, usually. Unless no. It's like... I had the saddest thing. I made a really great, like, sourdough loaf, and then I, like, sliced it and put it just, like, in a plastic bag on my, like, top of my fridge, being like, I'll, like, freeze this later, but, like, I'm still, like, actively eating it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I totally forgot about it, and, like, Never put it in my freezer, and it was like moldy as hell when I went That's to go really like make it. It was really sad because it was like three quarters of like a loaf that I'd made. I was like, this is such a waste. That is such a waste. I also feel like in terms of the freezer, like I'll have, and I don't know if you do this too, but it's like sometimes I'll have some bread that's like the bread I'm actively working through. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have like this much left. I know I can eat this. And then I'd like to have a backup bread in the freezer in case of emergency toast needs. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've got, yeah some bread that I've made in the past right now and then like I've still got some raisin bread Mm. we're working through it well uh this is this is the end this is it we've done it we've done bread not the end of the podcast just the bread series this is the end of the bread series but the fermentation series that the bread series is within continues it's some Russian nesting doll shit (laughs) the podcast within the podcast (laughs) the podcast Yes, exactly. Yes, thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram. That is Pantry Stables Pod. Yet again, leave us a nice comment. Uh, Tell your friends, tell your foes. Yeah, and we will be back uh, in two weeks with another exciting episode in our fermentation series. And until then, don't forget, y'all, go get that bread. Bye. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs>